This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. As I mentioned last week, every week I'm going to open these with announcing somebody who's going to be hanging out at the Retro RGB section at Retro World Expo in Hartford, Connecticut, the last week of August of this year. And this week I'm announcing Yehel from Wrestling with Gaming. And I'm also issuing a challenge to all of you. If you're coming to this expo, I challenge you to bring your Philips CDI console to have your picture taken with Yehel and the console. And I figure we'll come up with a fun hashtag for this and we'll just flood the internet with pictures of the greatest video game... I'm sorry, interactive multimedia console that was ever released. And I know this is a big ask because they're big and heavy, and if you're flying in, you might have to purchase a separate plane ticket just for the CDI because it's so heavy and powerful that it can't be stored in the cargo compartment. So yeah, let's make this happen. I think it'll be awesome. And as usual, I'm really looking forward to meeting all of you. And of course, selfishly hanging out with all of my friends that are going to be coming too. So hope to see you all there and let's jump in and see what's been going on this week. First up, a few more video game soundtracks are being released on vinyl, so I just wanted to combine this all into one section, but they each have their own post, so please check those out. But first is the game Gildine? Gildine? I'm sure I'm killing that pronunciation, and I apologize to any fans of the game. Uh, but that one is going to be about 50 bucks, and it's scheduled for release in November of this year. Uh, with In Japan, with the U.S. and EU and the rest of the world getting it around December. So you still should be able to get it. Um, you could purchase it from a couple of different locations, so just check out Crystal's post. Also, the Shinobi 3 soundtrack is being released digitally, so I believe this is one of the ones that was released on vinyl, but data discs had re-released it digitally as both FLAC and MP3, so that one is about 10 bucks, and uh, I purchased the... I think I purchased OutRun and also Space Harrier that way because I've been doing comparisons with cassettes versus vinyl versus digital. And yes, I'm definitely going down that rabbit hole. And it's probably going to be six more months before I have enough data to do a really good video on it. But I'm enjoying the ride, that's for sure. So if you'd like that, uh, just check out the link and go right to Data Discs. And then also... Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 is having a soundtrack released on vinyl, and there's a couple of different versions, but most sold out right away, so check out both of the links here. It's 25 bucks. I think it came to just over $30 for the one I purchased, because of course I purchased the Mortal Kombat soundtrack, um, but there were a few different versions. Some of them... Um, are kind of more interesting than others, but one of the things I found pretty cool was the picture disc version of it wasn't just a printed on vinyl, it was actually embossed in the plastic. And I know I'm explaining that wrong, but vinyl fans will know what I mean. I'm sorry. Uh, but basically, 
it, you know, imagine like you have a record that's read by a needle and then imagine somebody painting over that. It's obviously not going to read as well. And I know that's a horrible description. I'm just trying to have a good visualization for people. Whereas imagine molding the vinyl itself from a, a picture, I guess. So it's the same grooves that you were using if it was just the standard. That's the way they made the main picture disc for it. So that's the one I ended up ordering also because the others were out of stock. And I thought it looks absolutely amazing. So I'll check it out when it gets in. I'll see what it looks like and everything. But that was always a concern of mine whenever I was looking into these very awesome looking vinyls was what's the quality going to be like? And I guess the answer is you have to check each time you purchase it. So I had a, a friend of mine who's an expert. I'm not there yet, but they, uh, they confirmed that this is a good one to purchase. So uh, my apologies to all of the vinyl fans out there for just absolutely <laughs> destroying the explanation and the terminology for all of these. But I do think there were decent visualizations for non-vinyl fans to just understand which one you're getting. So if you're a fan of video game music on vinyl, this is a very good week for you. This week's podcast is once again sponsored by JLC PCB, and this week's ad is showing the follow-up for the SCART Cleaner project. And there were more mistakes, but these were my mistakes. And while experts are probably laughing at me, as you should, and I totally deserve it, but I do think that your average person who would benefit from these ads would be running into the same exact issues that I'm running into now, which is why I'm kind of happy to show this kind of mistake. Also, this is a product that's not, uh, the Gerbers aren't out there yet, so this is only affecting me, nobody else. But there were a few things. First of all, because of the part shortage, I thought it was going to be mostly assembled with only the SCART connector and the THS7374 chip having to be manually added. But some parts went out of stock between the time I placed the order and the time they were shipped, so I ended up having to also add the ferrite beads and the USB connector. And one thing that I learned is when you're specking certain surface mount components, it's really, really hard to try to hand solder those. So I ended up getting some solder paste and used my hot air rework station to affix that, and it works fine. I ruined two of these boards trying to do it with just a regular iron. I'm sure Jose and Voltar and, and likes of people like that could have pulled it off, but I can't. However, it worked perfectly with a hot air rework station and some solder paste. So if you have to end up adding components to final assembly, just try to match it up to what it is. Um, things like resistors, I had no problem with tweezers and an iron. Same thing with the ferrite beads and all the, and even really the 7374, which is a very small component. It was just the way the USB port was made, made it pretty hard. Um, then of course, you know, adding the SCART connector is about as easy as it gets, except check out those jumper wires. So this is a problem anyone could run into, including experts, I think, where we changed the part for the audio jack to ones that are in stock so that it could be made in the assembly service, which is something I'd probably do a whole other separate video on. And we copied and pasted the full pinout and the data sheet and basically the entire footprint from the website and placed it here. And yet somehow it didn't really connect the traces to the pins. So that is probably a mistake in the part itself, which obviously isn't our fault, it isn't JLCPCB's fault, but it is something that you might run into. So for these, I added the bodge wire just to have some testing around the house. It did still pass MD Fourier, but uh, I don't like this as a solution. So we're gonna do another run. 
So the follow-up video, uh, probably next week, we'll be placing another order of these, hopefully finding almost all of the parts in stock. I do realize that 7374s are going to be out of stock for a while. And trying one more time to get this thing made mostly complete so that all we would have to add is the SCART connector and maybe the THS7374 if that's just still end of life. So continue with us next week for this journey on trying to figure out how to get stuff assembled um, fully as well as PCBs made because I'll tell you right now, I've been, I'm nowhere near the skill level of my friends, but I'm pretty decent at this stuff. I was able to pull off a lot of these components and the time it took to make just three of these is well worth spending the money to have even partial assembly done at the factory. So I'm going to keep going with these ads because I do think they benefit everybody. Uh, and hopefully, once we get everything straightened out, we'll have the Gerbers for these up on the website soon so that if you have a Datapath Vision or an Epifan capture card, you can connect SCART a little bit easier because it's pretty much the main use for these. Next up, Greg from LaserBear has released a swivel stand for his LCD CRT monitor. And this is one of those products that I absolutely love sharing because if you had already purchased your LCD CRT and you're constantly flipping it back and forth between Tate mode or vertical oriented, however you want to say it, and horizontal, you have your own, you have your own setup, you don't really need it. But if you've already purchased one of these and you really like it, uh, but you just want it a little bit more angled and you want it to be able to, to make it a little bit easier to use, now you could upgrade by just buying one of these and plopping it in. You don't need to reprint anything. Everything you already bought is still exactly the way it is. You just drop it on top of this. So I, I really love talking about upgrades like this because maybe you need it, maybe you don't. And if you do, you don't lose any money. You just, you know, you just have to order a new one. Also, it's pretty easy to pop out because I do use mine for vertically or oriented games sometimes and but at the same time it was kind of interesting to get it positioned right without a stand i actually had it up on my studio monitor speaker just to the left of my main monitor and that seemed to be pretty good i was kind of looking up which you know you get a little bit of a neck ache after a while but adding this to the swivel stand both increased the height and was able to angle it in a way where just slightly looking down it was much easier to play so props to greg for for coming up with stuff like this and um you know i just hope that we're able to expand upon this type of thing because while of course it is not a replacement for a crt it comes close in many ways like with the video that i released a while back about it and it's also incredibly low latency and affordable. So those are kind of all the, the check boxes. I know there were a few other projects out there that were doing similar things. Some were amazing and they're still in progress and others were a little bit overpriced for something that has, you know, doesn't have the same performance as this one. So hopefully Greg could keep making these and figure out different versions of them. But definitely, if you already own the nine inch LCD CRT kit, at least check out this post and see if it's something that you'd want to upgrade to. A small firmware update was just released for the Fenrir optical drive emulator for the Sega Saturn with a bit of more news kind of hidden in there that I'll talk about. So the release notes for these are basically just adding support for more units, improving 21 pin detection and improving games loading time and have some minor fixes. But it also is noted that there's support for the next 
hardware revision, which I interpret as being able to compensate for the part shortage, so having to swap out some of the parts on there in order to do that, which is a good thing, because that means that said is continuing to try to make these in as big of a quantity as possible, and swapping parts around in order to make that happen, even in the middle of a part shortage. So basically, if you already own a Fenrir, even if it's working right, I would absolutely update the firmware on it. However, if you're looking to purchase one, it should pave the way for future versions that might have slight hardware revision changes, but you could all use the same firmware making it easier. So thanks to Sed for continuing to support the product, and I'm interested to see where he goes next with this. I recently did a live stream with Marcus showing off his new DEX add-on board for the DE10. And if you're into this stuff, I highly recommend checking that out. But I'm going to give a quick summary here because I think this is a very cool product that might be overlooked by people at first glance. So first of all, this is an add-on for the DE10 Nano that kind of turns it into the OSSC Pro Lite. I guess might be a good way to describe it. And the DE10 Nano is the same exact board used for the Mr. FPGA project. So basically, if you're somebody that uses a Mr., but you still want to upscale other stuff on a budget, this is a great device because it allows a bunch of different features all to share the same hardware. Now, we did test in the video, you would have to remove your RAM module and plug this in instead while you're using this. Either that or the Mr. Team would have to add support for the RAM module being on either side, which I think is a big ask. I don't know, maybe it's easy, but it seems like a big ask. So it would have to be something that you assembled anytime you wanted to use, but it does have a bunch of very cool features over the original open source scan converter. So this comes with a SCART port, but it also accepts sync on green, component video, and even RGBHV through the SCART port, either through a custom adapter or something like the HD15 to SCART. But the big advantage over the OSSC is that it's running the pros firmware and can, in, has the same analog to digital conversion chip on there. So you're going to get the same very high quality, very low latency uh, upscaling of 240p, 480i, and 480p signals. But there's some other bonuses in there as well. You know, it has the uh, pure line multiplier mode, which is pretty much zero lag. Uh, I showed it in the live stream, but I was running through the capture card, so the results weren't right. I'll have a follow-up post with all that info showing zero latency in pure line multiplying mode. Then you have a different kind of line multiplier that buffers just a few frames, which really helps for compatibility on TVs. And in fact, this ADC even helps compatibility in pure line multiplication mode. So what that means essentially is that my LG OLED I have doesn't work with 1080p 5x in the original OSSC, but it does with this and the OSSC Pro when I was able to borrow the demo. So that just increases compatibility right off the bat, even with an unmodded Super Nintendo. Uh, and of course, this also has, just like the OSSC Pro, an option to add software DJitter, so you don't really need that extra board anymore if you want to stream with a Super Nintendo and a not compatible capture card or something like that. But the feature that I'm personally most excited about for me is black frame insertion and 120 hertz because I think that's going to be very neat. Now, I think the majority of people using this might be most excited just that you could have OSSC Pro-like features and uh, for a much cheaper than that would have cost and utilize your DE10. But for me, the nerd, I love the thought that of plugging this into 
any kind of 120 hertz or above monitor or display, setting it to 720p 120, and then trying to add black frame insertion there. And what that essentially does, the best way I could describe it, which I didn't have the capture card that could pull it off in the stream, but I did try it on my projector afterwards. If you see horizontal scrolling, like fire up the 240p test suite and go into the scroll test, and you look at the grass and the trees, it's a little blurry on most LCD and even OLED TVs. But if you set it to 120 hertz and add black frame insertion, between every frame of that 60 frame per second signal, the screen is completely blacked out. And what that results in is much smoother motion and something where you don't see as much blur during the horizontal scrolling. At least, that's the best way to demonstrate it. So I'm very excited for that. And Marcus also said he would look into 240p 120, which is something I've still not gotten to work right. So I have to, if anybody's done that with a mister, please hit me up in the comments or something. But theoretically, that would allow you to take any VGA monitor that's compatible, which a lot should be, and send it 240p, but at 120 hertz, which supposed to is supposed to get you a look that's exactly like 240p scanline style. Now, of course, you could just repeat this, or you could just do this process by setting it to 480p and adding horizontal scan lines, but that will darken the image, whereas this shouldn't, at least as much. So I'm very excited to see if that's able to work, and I would really love to get that working on the Mr. first, just so I could confirm that my CRTs, or at least one of them, are compatible so I could test it and also feed that information back to Marcus to let him know, yes, it will work on the DE10 or no, it won't or something like that. So if you've done that before on the Mr. successfully, please hit me up and let me know your exact settings. Um, I was able to test 480p 120, which seemed to work, but not 240p120. And I tried it on a couple of different monitors. So please let me know what your settings are. I'll keep following up with Marcus, but as you can tell from this section, I'm very excited about this. The only other thing I would like to I would like to ask, and I'm talking to you, Greg, Todd, and you know, any of the awesome 3D printed creator printing creators out there, I would love to see a neat case for this that allows you to easily swap the, these components in and out and have it look like it matches properly. Because in its current form, it's neat, but I think most people don't really like to have boards just kind of hanging off one another because, you know, what if you put it down on a metal surface or something? So we do need some cool 3D printed solutions for it. But other than that, I think this is a very cool product and I think it's the perfect thing to hold us off until the OSSC Pro arrives. And I do believe that Marcus is trying to get this up for sale by July. So I will hopefully have a post that has solid lag test results showing zero in pure line multiplication mode, as well as auto phase detection, which should be a pretty cool feature as well. So you don't have to manually go in there and set phase. So as soon as that final firmware is released, I will follow up with a post. And hopefully by that time, they'll be up for sale. So you'd be able to pick them up for a pretty decent price. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, care of Lou from Lou's Retrosource. As usual, I'm just going to skim through these, and if anything piques your interest, please check out Lou's post and video, and don't forget to subscribe to Lou as well. First up, the Gun for IR is getting native support for the Mr., which is 
a way to use a modern light gun with some IR sensors in order to have support for light gun games, which is very cool because that means you're able to use that on any display, flat panel, CRT, whatever. Uh, I have yet to try one myself. I got to reach back out to the creator because that looks pretty cool. And I, I think that a lot of these light gun games, hopefully with solutions like this, are going to get a lot more attention these days because they were very cool. Um, Next, there is a new core based on the arcade game Tank 3, which I believe is like the, the prequel to Akari Warriors because there's the same character in it. Uh, it looks like a very cool top-down kind of action shooter style game. So it's, uh, it's very awesome that we get to play stuff like this because I never really heard of the game until I saw Lou's video. So thank you very much for releasing that core. I think you could just... Um, uh, update using whatever your update method is. And while it's in beta status, it did look like it was pretty solid. The same developer has also released another beta core for the arcade game, Athena by SNK. And this core will be merged with the SNK Triple Z80 once that's out of beta as well. There's also been a Game & Watch directory name change. So the Game & Watch core that was recently released came out, and then the Mr. Team decided to change the name of the folder for a bunch of reasons. So basically, update your Mr., and then you should see the new folder in there, and then you'll have to either move your contents over or rename the old folder, delete the new one, whatever. But it's a very quick and easy fix. You could just grab your SD card or log into it remotely to have that done. Also, Wickerwaka has added pixel repetition to Mr. And this is a thing that really only concerns people going for 1440p, in, I think, in most cases. Um, but it is actually a help. And I think the most common scenario in which you would want this is if you have a TV that supports widescreen 1440p resolutions, but not 4x3 1440p resolutions, um, which is something that is actually pretty common on a lot of TVs and monitors in a certain era before they started adding support for different resolutions like this. So basically, if you tried to set your mister to 1440p, uh, to be specific, 1920 by 1440, a square resolution, and it didn't work, you could try this, which will send your TV the resolution 2560 by 1440. And hopefully that would clear up support for you. Why would you want higher resolutions? Um, some TVs, it results in a much sharper image. Other TVs, it's about the same, but you get more detailed scan lines. For me personally, I'm still a huge fan of 1080p 5X, and I'm really, the next thing I'm waiting for is 4K 10X for a lot of these things, which is the same thing, but sharper. Next, um, a developer, Dense, is creating a Dragon's Lair Core, which is a game, an arcade game that used a laser disc player which is exciting for a couple of reasons. First, obviously, any unique and strange game like that is always well appreciated on a new platform, but I would love to see that LaserDisc module be able to have you stream, you know, any kind of LaserDisc rip, like from the Doomsday Project, to your mister and allow you to output it in whatever resolution you choose, 480i, you know, 480p, 1080p, whatever. And I would also love to, and I know this is a big ask, so please don't think I'm just uh, I'm expecting this to happen, but I would love to see stuff like a DVD player core, a Blu-ray core, or whatever else, 
just so that more people could use their mister for more different things. Now, I know there's licensing issues that go into that, and some things are way more complicated than others, but maybe there's already open source packages out there for the DE10 Nano or FPGA chips that use similar style chips that could be ported over, because I do think it would be pretty neat, especially if someday we ever get a 4K or 8K or whatever mister. It might be a really great alternative to a fancy Blu-ray player that they're really not making the great ones anymore. So being able to have a good way to upscale your video content or even just play it through in its original resolution, so 480i on a, a CRT, I think would be excellent. But I think that's a big ask, so we'll see if that ever happens. Also, Null Object has a beta for Dodon Pachi with working sound, which is a pretty insane bullet hell shooter, but it's a pretty awesome game. So at the moment, it's only available for Patreon subscribers, but after the last couple of bugs are ironed out, a public release will follow, which I say this every time, but I always think that's a really fair and cool way to release stuff. Because first and foremost, you don't have the general public flooding you with support requests for something that you already know has fixes coming. Uh, but also, it's kind of a neat way of reminding people like, hey, there are human beings making this for us that spend a lot of time and usually a lot of money on equipment and stuff on this. So it's good to support people's Patreons. Uh, next, even with an injured hand, Robert Pipe, the PlayStation Core creator, has added a bunch of improvements and is working on software to help compare original hardware to the core even deeper to make it even more accurate. So, very awesome. Uh, there's also support for the PlayStation multi-tap adapters coming. So, um, the developer Markin has been working on it, a way to plug the original real PlayStation multi-tap peripheral in and play games that support more than two players. So if you want to test it out, there's a beta build available, but it should be released at some point in the future, which is pretty neat. Also, there, the in-development Commodore 128 core has released a bunch of updates, and the developer Eric's 5 has posted some screenshots on it. The PCXT core has been in constant development, and now there's a beta version 0.7 available for download. So if you're into that, check out the new version. Hotego's track and field core is now available free to the public. I already just said my whole thoughts on, on betas under paywalls, which I still think is awesome. So very cool. If now you're ready to experience a more stable version ready for the public, just run your updater to grab it. And Hotego has also released a beta core for Super Pang to Patreon subscribers. There's also a bunch of different miscellaneous updates like... Uh, updated framework for games like Turkey Shoot, Joust, and Mystic Marathon. Um, there's a fix for reset between games for the Game & Watch core from Pierco. And uh, there's a few updates to the 32X core and a bunch of others. So busy week for the Mr. Devs. If anything that I talked about here really piques your interest, please go back and watch Lou's video because he shows all of this stuff in action. Um, and as always, thanks to the Mr. Team, to Lou, and of course to all of you for supporting the project because the Mr. is awesome and I can't wait to see what comes next. N64 developer and ROM hacker Kays has just released a video showing an in-progress version of their latest ROM hack, a way to get Mario 64 to render more than twice the polygons on screen at the same time. And one of the things that's the most mind-blowing to me about this is it's 
supposedly able to run on a ROM cart on original hardware. So while all of these other Mario 64 ROM hacks using the newly released reverse-engineered source code are awesome, and I love it, and I'm very excited to see projects like that, they all require emulation to run, whereas this is running on original hardware, which is super impressive. So if you want to check out the video, just uh, read through Matt's post as well for some info. Check out the video. It's not quite released yet, but I would love to demo this as soon as it's out. Because while I'm admittedly not the biggest fan of the N64, I could absolutely appreciate all of the work that goes into this and the improvements that stuff like this would make. So props to Kays for doing this, and thanks to Matt for sharing it with us. Some updates on the 4K Gamer Pro, which is the 4K adapter for any 1080p sources. First, their Kickstarter campaign got temporarily shut down by Nintendo for using Pokemon imagery on the Kickstarter, which is the dumbest thing on the planet. It drives me nuts when Nintendo does this. They weren't stealing the IP, they were just using that as an example of what their product does, which in turn promotes Nintendo. I don't know, I think... I think they're going to go down in history as one of the worst companies for that, and I hope they're all really ashamed of how bad their legal team treats this stuff. But anyway, the Kickstarter campaign is back. They removed the Pokemon imagery. Um, There's only a few days left, so if you wanted one of these, you have to grab it now. And if you wanted more comparisons to see how it would work with non-retro consoles, I strongly recommend checking out Wobbling Pixel's video. Now, there are some caveats to that. It's going to look different on your TV because... 4K60 is incredibly hard to capture lossless, so capturing or even using the camera like I did, that first step compresses it. Then when you create your video and you render it, that compresses it. And unless you figure out how to render the exact way YouTube compresses videos on your channel, YouTube compresses it again. So while Wobbling Pixels video is excellent, I wanted to add that little disclaimer because it will look a little better on your TV. But whether you like it or not is completely and totally up to you. I think my video really went through and just proved that it doesn't hurt the image at all and it doesn't add lag. Wobbling Pixels video shows you the comparisons. But I think both of us, both of our videos came to the same conclusion that this device is for people that want a sharp scale, which isn't always the best way to scale its content. Sometimes just Letting your TV scale from 1080p up or using a device that does anti-aliasing and smoothing like that would be a better option. But if you like a sharp image, this one is definitely something to look out for. The only other thing that I have to keep reminding people is, no, this is not the same as just turning the sharpness up on your TV. I would actually love to do a separate video about that because the way TVs treat sharpness is totally different than it did when flat panels was first released and the ones i tested don't really add lag when you change sharpness like the sharpness like they used to or at least i think they used to didn't have a time sleuth back then but it, it's a different type of device so you might like the effect it does it it gives you might not like the effect but think the sharpness gained is worth the trade-off which is my feelings on it in quite a few different scenarios But even if you don't like the effect, the company who makes it said their team is already looking into adding an integer scale only option, which just nearest neighbor scales 1080p to 4K. I really wish they would confirm that before the Kickstarter is over so you don't purchase something that may or may not be what you want. But that is what I really think would be an excellent use for this. 
because you could try their different modes. And yeah, sometimes you get a haloing effect around 2D images, but sometimes it looks okay. Sometimes it doesn't either as well, but you could try their scaling, see what you like, or you could just go to integer scaling, which I think is also pretty awesome. And the price is fair for something like this. So if you're on the fence about this, definitely check out Wobbling Pixels video, but whatever you decide, it's all opinion based. So if you decide you hate the way it looks, that's cool. If you love the haloing effect it adds to 2D graphics, that's fine too. All, all you need to know is that it does not hurt the image at all and it everything seemed to perform exactly the way I would have expected and how they advertised it. No cheesy, crappy, misleading marketing with this company, luckily. So definitely check out Wobbling Pixels video if you're interested. And of course, if you want proof for all of my claims, please check out my video too, because at the very least, like I put in my silly clickbait thumbnail, the product does not suck. Steve from RetroTech just posted a video showing how to fix the most common problems you'll find with the DataVideo TBC1000, which is a famous time-based corrector that's been around forever. So I'll, I'll walk through exactly what this is and what you need to know, but if you already understand that, just skip to it and check out Steve's post and video. Steve also was kind enough to put some very detailed pictures. Just click on each if you want full-sized views to show everything that you need to know. But first of all, why do you need a time-based corrector? The most common scenario by far is if you're looking to digitize VHS tapes. And back in the day, in the early 2000s, I was doing just that. And I ran into some issues where digital capture cards just couldn't sync properly with VHS tapes, causing some interference. And there was also some macrovision protection noise that got introduced um, that sometimes you could just find a capture card that didn't scan for macrovision. But either way, a time-based corrector would fix both of that. So you can get a pretty clean capture without sync issues going through. Uh, in fact, if you have a BVM with VCR mode, that's doing something kind of similar. So this device has been out since the early 2000s. I remember borrowing one from my boss back then because there were a couple of tapes that I just couldn't get captured properly. And it supports one input and four outputs for composite and S-video. So it's also a video distribution amplifier as well. For some insane reason, they have skyrocketed in price. So it's very common that you'll find them used and not working for much cheaper, but the most common problem is a few capacitors on it. So Steve's video and the guide that he posted in this uh, right on the website shows which are the most common capacitors to go and, uh, and points you in the right direction for how to replace them, which is awesome and very helpful. So this is great in itself, but I do have a question for all of you. What other time-based correctors are out there that somebody could just purchase on eBay. And maybe they'll need a cap replacement, maybe not. But while this TBC-1000 is great and I've always liked it, I don't need four outputs. I don't even need audio. I just need composite video in, composite video out with time-based correction done. Uh, so does anybody have any any info on anything like that? Or can off-the-shelf parts be used today to make our own? Because as long as whatever major company still makes the chips, we should be able to just recreate the same circuits around it with, you know, an RCA connector in, an RCA connector out, and power, and that's it. Uh, I would also like to see how this works with weird sync games. So maybe run that sync line through the composite video port of a time-based corrector. Um, so... Actually, you know what? I have a couple of, I, I have some homework for any of my fellow nerds out there who are as curious as I am. First, 
What is another time-based corrector we could use? Hopefully just composite to composite. Second, do we know of chips out there to make our own so we can just create that device? Third, do you have a master system or a turbo graphics or I guess even a Neo Geo that you could run through the composite video, run sync through the composite video port of a time-based corrector to see if it clears that up? And lastly, just for my own crazy curiosity, can you test with a time sleuth? Or if you have a time-based corrector that you want to send me, I'll do all these tests for you and send it back. But I'm almost positive that there is no, no lag added whatsoever, and it's the same situation as adding like a sync stripper where you might get slight image shift, but it doesn't actually lag the image at all. But I'd really like to know the answers to all of that. So if you want to let me borrow one of those, I could handle the last couple of questions. But what other alternatives and can we make our own is something that I would really love to know the answer to. So anybody out there with info like that, please share in the comments and I'll definitely follow up. Last Sunday, Durf and the Console Mods Wiki team did a conversion marathon where they spent all day taking pages from RetroRGB and converting and moving them over to the Console Mods Wiki, which is awesome. This is, this is the dream happening right here. So first and foremost, thank you so much to anybody who put any time in this whatsoever. This is just too overwhelming a project for any one person to handle. So the fact that a bunch of people got together to do this is amazing. And I cannot even begin to extend my gratitude to you. This is just absolutely awesome. On the flip side, now it's on me. And while the next week's going to be a little nuts, by the end of the month, I'm going to start going back and checking every page that has now been ported over and doing my work on it. So I'll take the original page and either set up port um, uh, 301 redirects. I almost said port forwarding. <laughs> so either set up 301 redirects or delete the page that's there with just a basic explanation and some thoughts just to say, hey, you know, this page used to cover this, but now there's a wiki out there that has an in-depth uh, articles on this if you want to contribute here depending on the page and what it is I might just redirect I might you know I might figure something else out but now it's on me to clean up retro RGB and going forward it's going to be that any kind of of guide that want you know that we want out there stuff that we really want to be preserved is going on the wiki and of course I'll write a news post about it and you know to send everybody there in order to see it but the dream of having this all be a community focused thing and letting everybody work on this together is definitely coming together. And I'm very excited about it. So I can't wait to see the site grow. I can't wait to see other people start porting their wikis over just to have free hosting and a large group of people all working on the same thing. And I promise I will keep up my end of the bargain and start updating retro RGB because now that the guides are moved over, I could really concentrate on the stuff where I feel like I could add value. Whereas the guides, there's a million better modders out there than me. There's so many people that are better at soldering and, and creating these things. So while it was very fun to start this process out and, and get all the info out there, I think it's definitely the perfect time to hand it back over to all of you. So basically, this is the transition where retro RGB is opinions. They're all rooted in fact, and console mods is just the facts. So hopefully this will all fall into place and uh, I will update everybody as we go through. 
Well, that's it for this week. There was no interview this week because the person who I had scheduled to do an interview with got sick. They're okay. They just, uh, they, they didn't want to half-ass the interview, which I, I always appreciate. So there were a few that I've done over the years that I, I really, in hindsight, should have canceled. I was just really excited and wanted to do it. And all my guests were awesome, but there were a few times where I'd look back at myself and go, you're half asleep. You're a moron. Why would you why would you do that? Why wouldn't you do this person justice and have more energy? So when they canceled, I, I actually respected that and we will reschedule. Um, I also have a crazy weekend coming up. So while I think I will have an interview for Monday, uh, there might be a second week skipped, but I will be doing a whole bunch of live streams. So hopefully if people are looking for content, I could still provide that. And there's going to be guests on almost all of them. So there should be fun conversations that you could also just listen to if you would like. Uh, but I just wanted to let everybody know I'm not going back and, and stopping the interviews. I love those. I love doing those podcasts. Uh, but sometimes just the right move is to do a live stream instead that week, just for whatever's been going on. So hopefully you'll see a lot more live streams. I think they're a lot of fun. I love interacting with people. I love showing people all the insane crap I do behind the scenes. So I don't just say it at the end of these videos. You could actually see that, yes, I really am nuts and put an insane amount of time into this stuff. Uh, and of course, the, the super chats are always amazing and well appreciated. But anyway, as always, thank you to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially especially to anybody who supports in any way, whether it's the super chat on the live stream, the monthly support services, or just using affiliate links to buy the same stuff you are already going to buy at the same price, but I get a penny off of it. All that adds up and it's all appreciated. So thanks very much. And I'll see you next week.